Bobby, what's wrong with the car? Uh-oh, I think it's broke. Look, that thing there is all swoped up. We, we got a pair of pliers and a screwdriver. We can find out. I think we should just start poking stuff. Oh, all right. All right. don't do that, folks. Tune into the Grease Gurus. Don't go to the emergency room. Go to the Grease Gurus and learn why your car might have stopped on the side of the road and what not to touch. On Saturday mornings from 10 a.m. on the Tan Talk Radio Network. Ouch! That hurt! Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radiant Cars. Let me tell you about my company, Gulfstream Motorsports, 727-541-1741. I have over 35 years experience with classic, vintage, sport, and racing cars. I do appraisals, consulting, and pre-purchase inspections. Before you buy your next rare classic, the car of your dreams, give me a call at Gulfstream Motorsports, 727-541-1741. Also, due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I am very good with wrecks. So if your car has been in a wreck, Call me for a diminished value report. Call me at 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for lost value of your repaired vehicle. That's Gulfstream Motorsports, 727-541-1741. And be sure to tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, Wednesdays, 7 to 8 p.m. on the Tantalk Radio Network, AM has nothing to match this car. Chevrolet's incomparable Corvette. There's nothing like it on the road. Although the Corvette appearance is essentially unchanged, up front there's a new plastic grille, modified front fender louvers with optional bright trim, and a modified rear end panel. All Corvettes feature new press flap door handles that eliminates the door push button. And headlamp washers are now standard equipment for all Corvettes. And all other Chevrolet lines equipped with the retractable headlamp option. The washers operate anytime the windshield wash button is depressed and held as this diverts windshield washer fluid to the headlamp nozzles. Corvette windshield washers are also new as the spray nozzles are now mounted in the wiper arms near the center of the blade. Water is sprayed onto the glass twice during each downstroke so the washing action is more effective, particularly at higher speeds. A new Delcatron with an integral voltage regulator is another Corvette feature. Keep songs first. If you run out of gas, get Ethel. If Ethel runs out, get Mabel. Now step on it. Hi, this is John Force, and you're listening, listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. 
You do it better than me. You do I it. I don't know. <laughs> Actually, that's always a good promo right there, just in itself. I'm John Force, and uh, you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Welcome, you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers in Google Tantalk, 1340.com, and you can see us live in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfStreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you've missed any of our 410 shows, be sure and check out our archive page, Nostalgic Radio and Cars, where all the shows are available for you to listen to on a podcast. Now, we have a great guest for you this afternoon. As you guys uh, know, when you tune into our show, on a weekly basis, we've got uh, an amazing cross-section of people from well-known celebrities, car guys, musicians, to uh, some really serious car fanatics that are right here in our backyard. So, without further ado, I'd like to welcome a good friend of mine, a longtime friend of mine, and a guy I used to work with way back when in the golden days of street racing here in Clearwater. I'm delighted to welcome the show this afternoon, my good friend Larry Van Gelder. And Larry used to be the former CEO, back when it was still around, of Automotive Engineering. That was the speed shop here, locally, here in Clearwater, Florida. So, Larry, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thank you. Real good. Thanks for having me on the show today. I'm glad to have you on the show. And in fact, we uh, kind of highlighted the beginning here, because I know you had this amazing one-owner 1969 Corvette. Actually, it's your second Corvette, right? Because you had a 67 before that? Yeah, a 66, yeah. Yep. Had one that was stolen and one that was totaled. So, uh, back in late 68, uh, I said to my wife's before I do something silly like buy a, a house, let's go buy a new vet, and she was cool with that, so there it is. You got the perfect wife. She's a car Absolutely, gal. Absolutely, she is. Okay. Well, now, you're from Chicago originally, and right. then I was reading your bio there. It was an interesting story about back in the day, you were kind of like, uh, kind of unsure of things, but you kind of like cars, but your dad apparently had, what, a 63 409 car? Yeah, actually, he bought that car after we kind of connected together. Okay. And prior to that, we hadn't had much of a relationship. Uh-huh. And uh, one day we decided to go go kart racing with uh, rental carts, and he said, "What else would you like to do?" And I said, "Well, I hear there's a drag strip out there, US 30," and he said, "Let's go out and see what that's about." And we started racing a little six cylinder they had at the time, and it uh, kind of grew to the point where we knew we couldn't make that thing go fast. <laughs> so he says, one day he just comes in and says, uh, "I think we're going to go to a Chevy dealer and buy a new 409. You want to go with me?" Said, yeah, absolutely. Oh wow! <laughs> Let me guess. Did you go to Nikki Chevrolet? <laughs> no, we didn't. Actually, there was a little local Chevy dealer. Okay. Well, now, coming from Chicago, Nikki, you know, I, I have to play on that because uh, when I was a kid, because my relatives lived in Chicago. Right. And uh, so Nikki was the Chevrolet dealership, right, in Chicago? Right, right. Now, that may have predated this a little bit because we're okay. talking about late 1962, early 63 mm-hmm. when this car was ordered. And um, surprisingly enough, back in those days, I've still got the letters from my dad back and forth with Chevrolet because uh, – they couldn't keep up with the number of four speeds that people were ordering. No so kidding. it delayed the delivery of the car about seven months or so. So I've still got these, all these uh, letters back and forth uh, trying to get him the car. Now, did he buy a 409 409 or a 425 409? At that time, it was a 340. Oh, a 340? Yeah, which was a hydraulic lifter. Okay. And um, of course, people kind of segue in a little bit. People say, well, radio delete. Well, there really wasn't such a thing as radio delete. If you don't check the box that says radio, you get a plate okay. where the radio should be. And uh, he was filling out the papers with the dealership, and a salesman's you know, checking these things off. And he's no, 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 I don't want a radio. We got a 409, positive traction, four-speed, that's all. That's no it. More, no more options. Manual steering, manual brakes, that was it. It's a go-fast car. Yeah, yeah. Now, eventually, we 
decided the 340 wasn't really quite enough, so we ended up building a, basically a four-and-a-quarter horse and then some um, that uh, we used. It was his daily driver, and then we drag raced it on weekends. That's cool. What color was it? Saddle tan with a matching interior. Saddle tan. Now, is that like the Corvette cinnamon color kind of like? <laughs> it's kind of hard to describe. It is actually a tan color. It's kind of a golden uh, mm-hmm. beigey color, okay. but it's got a little bit more warmth if you will than a beige uh-huh. um and uh, it was really a very pretty car in fact he liked it so much he went down and matched some paint and painted the house the same color oh no kidding no <laughs> kidding what color was the interior again saddle also oh okay so it was a, that was kind of like a 60s saddle thing saddle. yeah that yeah. was pretty yeah and he was an independent contractor so every day um this thing 411 gears in it and uh, every day he'd go out and put a cloth over the bucket seat on a passenger side and slip his ladder in there put it on a package tray in the back and sit on the on the front of the bucket and stick it in first and we'd go to uh do to work. contracting work yeah no kidding yeah so then now you went to school at no, SI, so, siu which right, is right right southern illinois university okay and you majored in automotive technology that's correct now i'm not familiar with that course tell us a little bit about that course because that's kind of interesting yeah i don't know that it even exists anymore it's kind of a cross between a technical course and a and a, a regular college course it's mm-hmm. a, an associate degree is what i got so in addition to the uh, you know, building engines and learning about the technologies, which were, of course, quite a bit different at that time, um, then I still had the things that I had to take as far as you know, English and math and chemistry and that sort of thing. So I had college credits. Um, like I said, it was kind of a hybrid between a, between a technical school and a college. Interesting. The first two years of college. Okay. And then so with that degree, then where did you go after that? From there, I went to a company, Shell Oil Company okay. Research, had a big facility in, outside of St. Louis, and one of two in the world. And what they did there, they had a chemical division, they had a refinery in the back, and then they had an engine division, which is where I worked. Um, and we had, uh, the, where I started working there, they called the 12 engine facility, and they had 12 dyno bays for engines only that um, were programmable off of a a big aluminum disc that fit in a little uh, cubby in the wall, and it had little, <clears throat> excuse me, little trip levers that were put into this disc. And as it rotated in time, it would signal what the um, speed of the engine was supposed to be, and actually rev the engine up back and forth, and do emission testing and all sorts of things that you wouldn't have think would have happened in 1965. But um, there, there was, I learned a lot there because it was so forward-thinking. They did a lot of work for the OEs, um, and we had to um, look at all sorts of things, wet and dry bulb, humidity, um, control, temperatures, everything, to make these tests absolutely correct to what the OEs wanted. And if you missed a beat, you had to go back and do it over again. And these things would run for, some of those things would run for months at a time. Now, was this you're testing fuels? Is that what it was? Or were you testing, basically? I mean, there, were, there was a variety of things. Some okay. of it was fuel. We had a single cylinder uh, adjustable compression ratio engine. Adjustable that, compression uh, ratio? That's right. And really? Yeah, yeah. You need adjust the compression ratio. And what they do is to get an octane rating, it was all by ear. Essentially, would put in, for lack of a better word, a zero octane and a 100 octane fuels. And you change the combination. And at the point where you start to get audible knock, then that's where they'd say, okay, that happened at 93. So this fuel is a 93-octane fuel that we've run through this single-cylinder engine. At a a given compression ratio? Yes. Okay. So um, by changing the compression ratio, you would change the octane requirement. 
Okay. So by increasing, uh, steadily increasing compression ratio, you'd get to a point where then you'd start to get knock. And right. at that point, that was what the fuel was considered as far as the octane level. Okay, so now explain to me how the variable compression ratio, how did that happen? I mean, normally, you know, you change head gases, you mill ahead, you change pistons. So how were you able to do it? Actually, it was, it was a fairly simple process. I don't remember so far back how, far the, how they actually fit together, but essentially had a cylinder with an overlapping compression or cylinder head uh-huh. in such a way that one would fit inside the other. So that as far as you could basically just crank this thing up and down, and you would change the quench area basically above the piston. So um, you could just essentially do this on the fly and just change the mixture basically, and it'd get to the point where it'd start to knock. You'd back it off a little bit, see, okay, it's clean there, okay? And then you'd establish what what the octane rating was of the fuel. But the testing was for all sorts of the engine oils and so forth, um, we had things like uh, we had to inject um, ethylene glycol into the crankcase every night, uh, every hour on the hour, and it would uh, run it and see how long the bearings would live before it with contamination with uh, with um, antifreeze. Really? Yeah, there was just an amazing amount of things they did. Um, you check oil to check the to check how oil would live. Um, every hour we'd, or every day on one engine we'd take and um, had a blotter paper with a calendar on it. And you'd take one drop off the dipstick and put it on that date and see how far the, uh, would the, spread. the how far it would spread. And then when it got to, to where it had more like a little kernel in there, then you'd know how long your oil would live and what the condition was. And it would go back to the chemical department and analyze it. But... Uh, for emissions, you know, right now you just plug a sniffer in. Right. You got it. This thing had a thing. It looked like a looked like a kitchen sink that you rolled around. The thing was probably five or six feet long, and had to take and um, take a hypodermic needle and go in through a uh, port and exhaust and suck out 50 cc's of 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 uh, exhaust gas, inject it into a gas partitioner. And the gas partitioner then would read out and show what the contents of the exhaust was. Um, wow! It was it was it was rudimentary back in the day, but it's the only thing I'd ever seen. All right. So back in the day, I mean, computers are still in the in its infancy there. But did you actually have computers? I mean, how did, or was this all done on a mechanical? <laughs> no, no, no computers. No. In fact, we, the only calculator we had any because one of the things I had to calculate was square roots. I had to do a lot of square roots to find areas beneath a, a curve. And there was only one calculator in the office, and it looked like an old typewriter. <laughs> the thing, you know, the, the old, uh, whatever those big braces of typewriters were. Uh-huh. But nobody knew how to use it. So the only way to figure it was a slide rule. So you either did it. A you, slide rule. Yep, so you did a slide <laughs> rule or did it manually. There were no computers. Uh, to get deposits out of the uh, combustion chamber, we take a cylinder head and scrape the deposits from the cylinder head and then weigh them. Um, yeah, it was rudimentary, but we got a lot of really interesting information. Well, well, here's where I'm going with this, okay, because we had Bob Lutz on a while back. Right. And, of course, he's kind of like the, I don't want to say the father of the electric car, the modern-day father, but he was very instrumental. And his quote back in 2008 when he says, the electrification of the automobile is pretty much unavoidable. So that scares the crap out of guys like me that are 
gasoline junkies, right? Now, you have a very cool and interesting car, which we'll get into a little bit later. You get a Cadillac out there right. that's a very, very rare and unique car. One of what? Only 126 made, right? Something um, like Five five hundred or so in twenty sixteen. There were a few. Okay, so where I'm going with this is that when we had Bob on a while back, and he was in Scottsdale, we started talking about the electric thing and fuels and all this other stuff. So where I'm going with this is I decided to start on occasion here, uh, you know, and not necessarily one show after another, but kind of intermittently have people on that can talk about the issue about fuels and where we're going. I have a gentleman coming on that's uh, from Italy. He's an engineer. He's involved in alternative fuels. Fuels for internal combustion engines that are actually, I want to say, artificially created in laboratories, okay, which was always my argument back then. I said, if you have gas, why do I mean fuel, you know, you always talk about people say, oh, it's, it's fossil fuel, you know, dead dinosaurs and we're running out of it, which I don't believe. I don't buy it for a second because I think it's a reoccurring thing because there's constant expansion contraction within the Earth's core and that's basically, you know, it's de- decomposed materials. Okay, so that's what oil basically is. And then it depends on the refining and process. Now, where I was going with this too is... Down the road, and this is another subject, but I'm going to throw it out there, just the topic. And that is, because back in the day we used to hear about, and I'm sure you're familiar with the fish carburetor. Yeah, which okay. didn't work. <laughs> which Okay, but some people say it did, some people say it didn't. And then some people say that, you know, there was these carburetors that were out there back in the day that had an amazing abilities to, to mix the fuel and certain jetting, and it's all metering, to get incredible mileage. Now, your shell, so... Automobile manufacturers, the OEMs, original equipment manufacturers, have manufacturing capability. But you have, because you're in the oil industry, you have other capabilities you know, that are far more advanced than what they do because that's what you specialize in. So whether it's Shell or whether it's uh, Chevron or whether it's BP or whatever. So I, you kind of wonder sometimes you know, why we don't have cars that can't get super gas mileage uh, and, and, and the whole scenario around the fuels in the first place. So I'm, I'm throwing it out there because over the next three or four months, I'm going to have various people on the show that have been indirectly or directly involved in it. You were and in a way, because you dealt with octanes and testing and fuels and oils, so you have some background. You kind of understand that a little bit. A little bit, because right. I was a, I was a, you know, I was mostly a mechanical guy. Okay. So you know, the chemistry guys worked with the information we got from the engine side. Mm-hmm. So um, I, yeah, I know a bit about it, but probably just about enough to be dangerous. Okay. Uh, you know, I've got my own opinions on it, but I don't know how much is, you know, you can count on a scientific fact. Uh, obviously, the car that I drive that you were talking about is a 180 out from the Corvette I drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I enjoy technology and style is important. Um, that particular car uh, is based on the Voltec technology that's in the Chevy Volt. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, it is. What's it called? Well, it's Cadillac ELR. ELR. What yeah. does ELR stand for? I have no idea. It's just a number. You know, okay. they, they give letters to things instead okay. of names. Like XL500. It's not an Impala anymore. Yeah, it's, you know, so whatever. Okay. Um, so the thing is, is that uh, I like the technology because... Um, it's basically, it's an electric car, runs electricity all the time. There's no connection between the throttle and the engine. The engine is simply a generator, which comes on whenever the car tells it that it needs to have more electricity. It's a hybrid, correct, though? Yes, it's a plug-in hybrid. Okay. So the thing is, is that um, I, I bought the car in Houston um, and drove it back overnight, which is, I don't know, 1,000 miles or so. Um, and all I did was put gasoline in it to run the generator. So the gasoline runs the generator. The generator provides the electricity. Electricity par- provides the momentum for the car. So I've got the best of both worlds. When it came to the studio today, I drive all on electricity on a battery. The engine never started, and it will be that way until I get home. I'll plug it in. 
Now, if I want to go from here to Atlanta, then I'll drive, you know, 39 miles or whatever, and then I'll run out of, essentially, I'll run out of electricity from the battery, and the onboard generator comes on, and away we go. So for everyday driving, I'm on electricity. For long trips, I'm on gasoline, but electricity always drives the car. So I like the concept of that technology. Okay. By comparison now, your 69 <laughs> Corvette, tell us a little bit about the, the, how the car came to fruition. You bought the car new in 1969, Correct. so go ahead. Take yeah, it from okay. there. Okay, well, from there, as you know, we, you know we, we had it on just about everything from Frozen Lake the second week we owned it yeah. uh, to every go-kart track and old track and uh, dirt tracks, everything. Autocrossed it for years and years and years, both the wife and I. Uh, both my kids came home from the hospital in the car when they were born. Um, my son carried on the tradition, bringing his son home, his children home from the hospital in his Corvette. But um, over the years, it evolved. Um, it's a full custom car. It's got a 479 cubic inch, all aluminum, uh, world products, Merlin light engine, um, six-speed Richmond transmission. Um, all the bodywork is custom, and I uh, just enjoy driving it. And it just evolves. When there's, when there's something new in the way of technology that comes along, I'd like to try to see if there's some way I can involve that in my car. Um, most of the things that are coming out now in technology seem to be more, uh, more like things that just interconnect kids with the, uh, with social media and with so forth, which, uh, I can't really integrate or really have a desire to integrate that, but it's got fuel injection. It's, uh, um, kind of a homebrew that uses a commander 950 from Holly. That's old enough that I have to keep an air gap. <laughs> uh, I got to keep an air gap uh, laptop to talk to it because the last language that it understands is Windows XP. Oh so wow! <laughs> if, so if, if that goes, then we can't talk anymore. Hold that thought, Vaughn. We're gonna go, we got something queued up here. We're gonna play a little music here real quick, and we're gonna do a little commercial thing, and then we'll come right back. But I want to talk to you about that because I'm glad you brought that up because that was an interesting topic right there. When the technology becomes outdated, how do we retro and work with it? Okay, so go ahead, fire that song up. I think we got some kind of vintage here. This court has been called into session to pass judgment on a special new car from Pontiac. All rise for the judge. Great one from Pontiac GTO. Pontiac Ram Air 
Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kirk at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. Hi, this is Ed Iskandarian here, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm here with my uh, special guest and longtime friend, Larry Van Gelder. Now, let me throw in a few things here real quick. You heard the commercial about FloridaCarshows.com. If you want to know where all the car shows are that are taking place in Florida, definitely check out FLACarshows.com. And again, like I said, this week in uh, Orlando is the National Independent Automobile Dealer Association Meet, which is a four-day event. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or no, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, right? Uh, Coming up in uh, a month or two, Monterey Historics, Monterey Collector Car Week. SEMA is in November. Of course, I think in a week from now is uh, Le Mans, 24-hour race. Don't forget to check that out. And I want a big shout-out to uh, one of our dedicated listeners. That is uh, Radio Rob. Radio Rob had a birthday last week. He called me up. I forgot. My apologies. But anyway, happy birthday to Radio Rob. And then I want to say uh, special thanks to our good friends over there at Ruth Ecker Hall because also last week we had the Happy Together Tour. So uh, let me see if I remember who all was there. We had the Cow Sills, the Association, Mark Lindsay, who was the singer on the uh, GTO commercial here a few minutes ago with uh, Paul Revere and the Raiders. Uh, Flo and Eddie. Actually, Flo was there, not Eddie. Uh, Gary Puckett and... Chuck Negron from uh, Three Dog Night. So it was a pretty good band. Definitely check out Ruth Eckert Hall. They got some great shows coming up here in a couple, I don't know, three, four, five weeks, something like that. We got Hippie Fest with Rick Derringer and a couple other well known guys. So definitely a cool thing. Plus, they had a really cool car show, though. So, and Larry had his car there. He has Corvette there. He had Nightwing, which we're going to be talking about here shortly. And uh, let's see what else. Oh, yeah. One of my sponsors that I talk about all the time is uh, the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo. And the f- address is 426. West Bay Drive. I'll tell you what, they got some mean wings over there and they got some mean barbecue. So definitely check out our good friends over there at the Rib Shack Barbecue. And their number is 727-501-9090. Mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars and you'll get a free drink with your meal. Okay. Anyway, Larry, tell us a little bit more about Nightwing. Now, I remember there's a long history to that car. That car is the ongoing work in progress, but it's just kind of evolved to a really, really cool piece. I have an indirect connection because back when the glass onion existed right i rode into glass onion so take us through the the kind of the evolution of the car because it started out was it a factory black car with saddle interior yes 
And you special ordered it, so it was a 390 horse, 427, four-speed Corvette. Now, the pictures that I saw, it has side pipes. Did you order it with side pipes back in the day? Or no, what? those were aftermarket. Those were Actually, aftermarket. I tried to order with side pipes. They were just they were just coming out in early 69. Mine's very early 69. Mm-hmm. And uh, they actually delayed the car twice and put it to the back of the line because they didn't have those available as yet. So it came with a really nasty, terrible factory exhaust. Okay. But, um, I worked for Hooker Headers. All right, that's an interesting story, too. Tell right. us that one. Okay, so well, there, there was uh, the only thing that the side pipes existed, uh, the header side pipes existed by a, a company called OK Custom. And you could buy them over the counter at Chevrolet, actually. Um, and I went into to Hooker, and uh, when I started with them, and I said, we well, need to build these. So they had uh, set up 12 racks. They got all kinds of Corvettes in of every different description of like the C3 and C2 models. And they'd start building a header on one side and they'd take it from one car to the next until they hit an obstacle where it didn't fit and they'd go back and re-engineer to fit so it would fit all these cars. But uh, I had one of the first sets on there. And um, you could, going back to back in the 20s when I, or back when I was in my 20s and had that car. And it was a young man's car back then and all my buds that had Corvettes and everybody Put side pipes on them. You could always tell the keeper girlfriends because <laughs> once they stepped out and got that big raspberry on the back of their leg, they'd either leave or if it started to scab over, you know, it was a keeper. Okay. <laughs> so, but uh, those side pipes have been on there for for decades and decades. And and actually, the way I've configured the car underneath, there's no way to put a, a factory under chassis exhaust on there anymore. Hmm. Okay. So now then, so the side pipes and some minor suspension mods, that's what started out because you used to autocross the car a little bit and club race it. So then when did you start modifying the body? Um, 19, well, I put a nose on it. I put one custom nose on it in 71. Okay. And then I did the major modifications in 1978. The car was perfect. I just had, uh, I just wanted something different. Mm -hmm. And I happen to have a very good friend who's passed on now by the name of Jim Grinrod in Pinellas Park had a place called Grinrod's Corvette Fiberglass. And he let me use the shop, let me buy all his, the materials it cost, and uh, directed me. You know, if I screw it up, I had to be the one to unscrew it. He didn't, <laughs> do any, he didn't do any of the work on it. So he guided me through that. It took me months and months, and, and uh, it came out, I think, pretty interesting. And then the nose I did in, in uh, about 91 or 92. All right, so when did the homologation of the glass onion come to fruition there? Well, the glass onion was a different car. Was a different car, right. Okay, yeah. and uh, the uh, what Was that an original ZL1 car? No, it was not. Okay. It was a, it was a, now we call it a tribute car. Okay. But essentially, he used an aluminum engine in it, and he built that thing just like original ZL1. There are only two ZL1s that, that I know of that are in existence. Okay. Um, and, uh, and that's the all-aluminum 427. That's correct. Okay. Uh, see, that engine doubled the price of the car back oh. in those years. That, the engine option was, was virtually double the price of the car then. That's why I only built two. Okay. Um, but um, uh, the Glass Onion was a deal where he had, um, he had the back end of what is my car mm-hmm. on his car. Which was made by Ecklers back then? Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. And he wanted to go to the new style, which came out, I think, in about, came out about that time, late 70s. They oh, came the bubble the back? Back. Yeah. Okay. And then he wanted to go through the square IMSA style flares on it. John Greenwood style? Well, the after. Okay. Yeah. yeah. In, instead of having the rounded flares, it had this kind of square blow-through right. fenders on them. 
Uh, and he wanted to do that. So we cut his car in half, cut my car in half, <laughs> and I took his old piece, and he bought a new piece and put it on his. Um, and the uh, so for a while, the front of the car was black, as it always had been, and his car, as you probably remember, was pink. It was pink. pink. <laughs> yeah. It was magenta. magenta. And so the car was that color. Um, and uh, actually, my wife stripped the paint off of that in the front yard of our of our house. Uh, so I could get down to glass work on it. Once I got it in place, nothing fit right. It wasn't fit. The, the fender well shape wasn't right. I didn't like the way the rear glass was mounted. Uh, there were other issues with it, so I ended up redoing the whole thing. And in the process, I also put a Camaro tank in it under the frame, so that moved whatever 18 gallons of fuel weighs about 12 inches down under the chassis, and I now fill it behind the license plate instead of in the rear deck. Oh, okay, that's kind of cool. So um, it was just some, something that seemed like it'd be fun to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, my wife's always asked me, well, now that you're through with that, what are you going to do next? Well, I don't really know. It seems what comes along. So then tell us about the front end because you, and I think you changed the front end a little bit sometime in the late 80s and then in the it, 90s it, you did some yeah, other stuff. Yeah, that was early 90s, right. Okay. Um, that was um, – And you got these really funky flip-down lights now on there and stuff yeah, like that? So yeah, yeah. Well, that's just, that's just built. Oh, that's just built. Okay. Yeah, that wasn't from anything. That's actually – that's actually four uh, seal beam headlights, which, of course, I took apart and put in some better bulbs, mm-hmm. but uh, mounted with an electric window motor that swings it down in, into position when I need the lights. If not, they're tucked up to where they can't be seen. But the nose itself was actually uh, a company called Kaminari uh, that uh, ba- basically make a lot of ricer uh, kind of um, Import parts. stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, and back in those days, they made a kit for the C4 Corvette a body kit, and it had that front bumper on it. And I I measured out a C4, and it was within two inches of what my car was, so I said, I can make that fit. So I bought the bumper, the Kaminari front bumper for a C4, and that's what I grafted on to make the front end this, that, that's on there now. And the car is actually ex- the same length as it was previously because I used the center point of the bumper as the measuring point. But because the Kaminari and the C4 Corvette is a lot flatter across the nose. The nose looks longer from the side because it doesn't have as much of an angle to it. Oh, okay. Now, that car was also featured in, in a magazine a couple of times. Tell us about that. Yeah, I was in VET uh, back in, I don't know, 80s or something. Mm-hmm. Um, it was in VET, and then it was in VET again in... Uh, Two, early 2000s somewhere? Yeah, something like that. Okay. Mid-2000, I think it was 2005 or something. Um, so I was one of the few cars that ever been in that magazine more than once. They generally, in fact, most of the magazines don't want a car that's been featured in another magazine at all, mm-hmm. let alone the same, the same actual magazine. Um, when I uh, originally set everything up, of course, that thing had 15-inch wheels on it. Um, in uh, the later years, when I wanted to go to 17s, which I think I did just about the time that I did the nose, uh, 17s were an unheard of size. So uh, I had to have uh, Boyd Coddington when he was actually making custom wheels before it became a company that, of course, of course Boyd's gone, but the company became more of a production wheel company. And back then they did a actual custom wheels. Mm-hmm. So those are three-piece Boyd wheels uh, that were made to fit my car and the five-eighths-inch studs that uh, they fit over. Oh, okay, so that's like Ford, Ford S5, 8s, and Chevrolet's turned a little bit smaller diameter, 716s. Yeah, 716s, right, right. right. Okay. And, and I, broke a, I, I broke some studs in an autocross, broke all the oh. rear studs, and the only thing that was holding on was the little mushroom at the end of the axle. I said, it's time for something bigger. Oh. 
Wow. Okay, now tell us about the Merlin engines in there, because that car was a factory, 427, 390 horse, and then when did you switch out the motor and add all the other goodies to it? Uh, try to put me down on a year. I don't remember Roughly. exactly. It was, probably, it was probably in the 90s. Okay. I think it was in the 90s. Um, and uh, I saved my money, and I always wanted to take all that. took about 190 pounds off the front end by putting that in. And World Products um, had the Merlin Light big block. Uh, a standard big block um, is four and a quarter inch bore. And this is a four and a half inch bore. Ooh. And it's got a 427 crank. Uh, so it comes out to 479 inches. Uh, I'd actually get a little bit better performance if I was it built it as a 427 because my supercharger is kind of wheezing at that point. It's only putting <laughs> about four and a half, five pounds of boost with that big an engine. So, uh, but um, um, so it's got fuel injection plus the supercharger. Correct. Yeah. And you were, we were talking earlier about the software. So tell us a little bit about that. How that kind of you, well, like you say, it's just it's 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 obsolete. If my computer goes, then I can't talk to. I, mean, I can still drive the car. It doesn't need the laptop unless right. I want to make any adjustments. But if I ever have to make any adjustments, it's uh, to to kind of back up a step. It's not a closed loop system. It's an open loop system, which means it's not getting. It's not a learning system like people are now say. Oh, you get a fuel injection system, you bolt it on, and and you drive it, and it knows everything it needs to do. Well, I didn't have that opportunity this is basically a cd that you plugged in and you said i'll get it so it starts and once it starts then you start making this fuel map and you can make changes on the fly for instance i can change basically i could change a jet size but it doesn't learn to compensate it just does whatever i do whatever i've done to it so uh, there's no feedback from anything i can hook up an o2 sensor to get feedback if I want to let it out on a computer, but basically, it's um, um, it, it's just it's a standalone system that really doesn't have any any loop back to it. Called speed density system. Um, a friend of uh, I believe you know Grant Goheen mm-hmm. uh, built that intake plenum for me uh, to fit over the uh, the B and M supercharger. We designed it together, and he he built it and I started with four Makuni side drafts, which. If you know anything about Macoonies, if they're if you're real fortunate, once during a day they may idle, <laughs> like a Weber. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. So most of the time you're either doing a three pedal step on it, or or it's trying to overheat by revving up to 2,000 RPM. So um, I converted those to uh, throttle bodies, and just picked some pieces here and there, and put some injectors in it, and put in the proper. Uh, sensors that needed to have and made a fuel injection system with the Holly Commander 950 behind it. Okay. But if ever if it ever goes, then I have to change everything. I have to change. I can leave the I can essentially leave the sensors in place, but all the all the drives and everything have to change. What's the rough horsepower? If you had to guess, uh, it's probably 600. It's not okay. a big horsepower car. Okay. It's fun to drive. It's but it's not too much to. Now it came with trouble. 308s to begin with. What do you yeah. got in it now? It's for still you? got 308s. Still got 308s. Yeah. 12 bolt. Yeah, okay. I had different. I have a, I had a different. Uh, I had different rear ends in there at different times. When I went to the six-speed, um, that's what I was looking for as an overdrive. Okay. Uh, so it's got a deeper low gear and a higher high gear. So uh, in the middle, second, third, fourth, and fifth is almost identical to what a wide or close ratio four-speed Muncie would be. Mm-hmm. You can just about lay those right on top of each other. So uh, it's a real versatile little transmission, but. Uh, uh, not too many people know about it because it's externally shifted. Uh, as a Tremec 
is internally shifted, mm-hmm. and that's what everybody uses. Uh, at the time when I did that, the Tremec wasn't really a player yet. Mm-hmm. They were OE, and they had an integrated bell housing and needed a hydraulic clutch and a few other things that I didn't want to get into. So Richmond's more conventional, like a good old yeah, four-speed. Yeah, it's actually it's exactly the same length as a one-seat. Okay. Now, did you ever? Were you in the uh, street racing scene back in the day? I mean, Not really. Of, you know, that wasn't no, you. No, I was doing autocross. Was autocross. That sort of thing. Okay. Now, I think what we're going to do, we're going to go to a song. So everybody turn up their AM radios and their transistor radios, and then we're going to come right back. And I'm not even sure. Did we even decide what song we're going to play? I want to say Flo and Eddie. Here's about the happiest automobile I've ever seen. The men who designed this had fun, and the builders and the testers had fun. And while it's never going to take the place of the family car, I, for one, am going to have a lot of fun owning it. Now, this could never have happened unless the world's largest manufacturer of automobiles had put its tremendous resources back of the job of designing and building a sports car to uphold American leadership in every field of transportation. They built her to handle like an angel, with every ounce of weight right where it belongs for perfect balance. Clean and sleek and efficient looking, and light and strong. And they kept the cockpit simple and practical. For the power plant, they started with the finest valve and head engine. Some extra special features of higher compression, triple side draft carburetors, and dual exhaust give her 160 horsepower. Naturally, the automatic transmission quadrants on the floor. 
That's in keeping with sports car tradition. In addition to the speedometer, there's a tachometer to measure engine revolutions. They call her Corvette. And she belongs to the highway, just for the sheer and simple joy of driving, for the open road and the country byway, for Mr. and Mrs. America in a carefree mood. What a car. Hi, this is Dave McClellan, the voice of NHRA. You're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Reading Cars, and I'm here with my uh, longtime friend, Larry Van Gelder. And let's go back a few years. Let's go back to 69. Okay, so at one point you worked for Hooker Headers. So how did you get into the aftermarket parts business? Well, Hooker Headers, of course, is aftermarket. And, right. and what it was, actually, is I, was, I had uh, accepted a job with, uh, with Chrysler as an area service manager. And um, the, uh, I had applied to, uh, for, to work for Hooker, was looking for a sales manager, sometime before that. Uh, the weekend before I was supposed to work for Chrysler, I was supposed to go to a new car introduction to Detroit. Hooker called me and they said, if you want to go to work for us, be in California Monday morning. And, no. I, and I called Chrysler up and said, sorry, man, I, I got to follow my dream and go to the performance parts. How did you get the connection with, with Hooker? I applied for it. They had ad. They, oh, really? Looking, yeah. So there's no four of us that broke up the United States that managed to, you know, I had about Nine states up in the north, uh, all the way from Chicago area or Illinois, all the way to Montana. Oh wow! And uh, there were three other guys that that all okay, and then their territory. And then from Hooker, where did you go? From Hooker, I went to a company called Bellwether, and they were a customer, a client, if you would. They were a big Hooker header customer uh, that were in the Chicago area. Okay. Um, very very uh, forward looking wholesaler, and um, I just got tired of all the traveling all the time with Hooker. I was gone all the time. So uh, I took the job with Bellwether. Was that a speed shop? That was a performance warehouse. Warehouse, so okay. Any, so they would wholesale only, no distribution, no, okay. no, no retail. Um, and I really longed to be in Florida. I just really wanted to be in Florida. So I had the opportunity in 1974 to move down here uh, to go work for automotive engineering. Ed Monroe, uh, great forward-thinking guy. And um, so um, we moved down here in 74, and I worked for automotive engineering and southern performance for about 31 years how did you meet ed um there was a friend of mine a mutual friend who was uh rep for mr gasket at the time and uh, i said who have you got I, I, I really need to i really need to move on here and he says well i got this buddy down in florida that uh, uh ed monroe that's got automotive engineering and he set up a meeting for us so uh, I flew down and spent the last hundred bucks I had <laughs> on a plane ticket to get down. Went around. By the time I walked into his office, I knew what a gallon of milk cost. I knew what my insurance costs. I knew what a house was going to rent. I knew what my car insurance was going to be. And everything I walked in, and, and we hit it off just great. So um, he gave me a $100 bill and said, come on back and go to work. Wow. Ed was a super nice guy. Now, I, just to digress for a second, I actually worked there. I was a warehouse guppy back in 77. And you were in charge of wholesale, the the warehouse at the time, I think. Yeah, SBW. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so, but that was a fun experience. I was only there for a few months, and then I had to go back to school and stuff. But it was it was kind of an okay, fun job for the summertime, and it got me familiar with a lot of stuff too, because it was actually kind of neat. It was hot in that warehouse, by the way. Oh yeah. Especially yeah. on the second floor, messing that when we had to pull parts. But, uh, <laughs> Sorry about that. No, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. So then, now you've got a SEMA connection there. Tell us a little bit about SEMA. You were involved with them. Yeah, well, and, and SEMA because of both with Hooker and having a setup at the SEMA show. 
And then later on with Southern Performance, where I went out there and, and dealt with uh, uh, all the different manufacturers. I was on the board of directors uh, for a, a few terms and uh, was on the show committee a few times. Now, some people don't really think, they think all a SEMA is a SEMA show, but that's just one fast that happens one week. But SEMA is an organization and it works for the performance industry year round, day in, day out, for against you know everything for laws and, and helping uh, manufacturers and distributors and jobbers and everybody, hot rodders, uh, they're just dedicated to the performance industry. So SEMA show, which also people think is just a giant car show, which it is, but it's also original concept was a business-to-business -business, uh, uh, vehicle to be able to uh, get the manufacturers in touch with the people that sell their products directly. Um, and um, it's been... Uh, it's uh, had quite a ride, started in a, uh, like anything, starts out small and now it's 2 million square feet or something. Yeah, Las Vegas Convention Center. Now, you were with uh, uh, SPW, which is Southern Performance Warehouse, and I think during your tenure there, through you, they, they won, what, a number of awards? You won some awards, so tell us about those too. Yeah, well, the biggest one from SEMA itself was the uh, Warehouse Distributor of the Year, which we're real proud of, uh, mm -hmm. which, of course, is exactly what it sounds like we did dedication to uh, getting product in through the aftermarket, uh, distributing to retailers and so forth. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, I was with Performance Warehouse Association also, which is um, kind of a, an associate of, autom of, of SEMA, but not directly a part of it. Uh, so I was president of Performance Warehouse Association. I've been a, a board of directors of a couple other organizations that are all involved in the performance industry in one form or another. Now, the um, automotive engineering is no longer there. It's, it's changed hands a few times, and, uh, and I think it's called Gearhead Performance now or something. When you were involved in the industry back then, um, your take on the aftermarket industry then and your take on it now, you know, I mean, I, I know you're kind of removed from it. You've been retired for a while, but in the back of your mind, you're still a— uh, a speed junkie. Well, of like course, this. of course. So anything like that. And the evolution. I mean, just how it's changed so much in the last, you know, five ten years. You know, the industry itself. And but the but the. Do you see more and more people getting into it, and more and more products, and and the manufacturers still staying on top of their game, and the industry going forwards. The industry is going forward. The distribution cycles change. It's just the fact that um, back in the day, if you will. Uh, when a product left, a manu manufacturer built a product, he sold it to a distributor, distributor sold it to a speed shop, speed shop sold it to a racer or a street guy, whatever. Yeah. And it was pretty clear cut. Uh, then that, all those channels started to change. Uh, the invent of uh, mail order made a huge difference. Um, and it makes it difficult for a local speed shop to exist. It used to be a case where... Uh, when I was in wholesale, we would sell, we'd have a guy call up and he'd say, yeah, send me 50 sets of headers. And you'd walk into a speed shop and the guy would have the header for you. And it evolved to where these guys couldn't afford to have that part in stock. So they'd have to wait, even if it was the next day, they'd have to order the part. Um, and uh, you've noticed that there's been fewer and fewer actual speed shops that exist anymore. It's just too hard for them to have the the money and the, uh, and the training for the personnel that they need. Uh, everybody's, you know, buying direct or have some other 
another way to get direct from the manufacturer, direct from mail or house or whatever. So just like a lot of the industry is, have changed is the brick and mortar places are finding it harder and harder to do. Now me, personally, I'm, I'm kind of an inverse buyer. What we used to have problems with is people would come in and they'd pick our brains because we had the knowledge at the retail counter to give somebody direction on how to build their car. And then they take that information and say, well, I can get it cheaper on mail order and I don't have to pay tax on it and they'd order it there. So we'd end up doing all the work not to get any sales. I do it the other way personally. As I go online, because it's easy to find things online, and I shop, mm -hmm. and I see, okay, this is the product I want, and I go buy it locally. Okay, if you can find it. Well, you know, it's funny because I was at, at uh, Gearhead, and, you know, Gene's still down there. Gene was there with you guys yeah, back in the yeah. day, and I think he was there when I was working there, too, along with Mike Olham. He's not there anymore, but Mike's up north. I see Mike every once in a while and some of the other gang. But just like you said, the Internet, because I know it's affected my business, too, you know, everybody goes mail order, you know, and, and that has hurt the guy but one thing i have noticed is that there's still a lot of shops around so the shops are still in business but the the speed shops aren't you know like we had used to have honest charlie's around here and a couple other places back in the day now was spw one of the largest was that southern performance warehouse was that the largest high-rise parts warehouse in the southeast back then absolutely was it was okay. absolutely yeah yeah without a doubt without question so um, it, it fed a lot of places and and um did a lot of good things but um uh, yeah, there are a lot. It, to, to, to your point, yes, there are a lot of people doing installation. Mm -hmm. Not as people that are not as many people selling parts directly uh, as a speed shop parts only. Well, and and the thing is, is some of those those uh, custom shops, those if you want to call them a, kind of like a, a custom car shop, you know, rebuild or yeah, whatever. Yeah. You know, they at least they have some stuff in stock. Some of them do, but they got the knowledge. And so now you just have to kind of either say, well, either I'm a uh, do-it-yourselfer and I'll just get everything online or I'll just bring my checkbook and go to someone like uh, Sean over there off 66th Street um, or Tom Argue or something like that. Uh, yeah. And then just say, hey, look, this is what I want done to my car. And they yes, do it. And yeah. they source everything for you and you sit down with a catalog. It's almost like you spec out your car. So. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, so do it for me or do it yourself. you mm -hmm. got to make your, make your choice. It's amazing. I've seen the industry change. You've seen it, obviously. And uh, But anyway. So we got about 30 seconds. What's next for Larry? I don't know. I'm enjoying being able to just work on a car when I want and go out to whatever car. Car show. Car shows and cruises and whatever. And I'm not doing any racing anymore. Um, and I'm just doing, enjoying life. Well, that's good. That's good. I see it at a lot of the car shows. You, well, you have your website. Yeah, talk yeah, about do. the website. It's called Nightwind, right? Yeah. It's nightwindvet.com. Well, that's a cue there. We're just about out of time. Well, anyway, Larry, I want to thank you very much for hanging out with us here for the last uh, hour, 45 minutes and change, and talking about your cars, talking about yourself. I'd like to have you on again sometime. We'll, we'll see how this thing goes. SEMA's in the fall. Maybe after that we can talk a little bit more about some of the other stuff because you're always in tune with that that's going on. Absolutely. And, Enjoy that. And uh, so, But anyway, again, I want to thank you very much for coming here with us. In the meantime, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Again, special thanks to my good friend Larry. Don't forget to check out his website, nightwing.com. Nightwingvet. Again, don't forget, every Tuesday night here on the Tan Talk Radio Network between 7 and 8 p.m., don't forget to check out our website, golfstreammotorsports.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Tell all your friends. Tune in. And, hey, I want to see you guys at some of the car shows. Stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family.
there's a fella in there who'll pay you $10 if you sing into his can. Downtown Dave. I'm not here to make a record, you dumb cracker. It broadcast me out on the radio. WTAN, Clearwater. FM 106.1. WCF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills. FM 104.3. Listen.